I'm chatting with Justin Clark, uh, Orbvest COO. Uh, Justin, appreciate your time again today. Uh, we're talking. Uh, we're going to talk some some real estate and the like. But let's first kick off a first question, I suppose. Is is, is uh, why as an investor, why commercial real estate? The the attractions around it as a as an investment theme. Simon, you are great, and and thanks for having me on again. I must say, it, it is fun doing these podcasts with you. Um, commercial real estate. I, yeah, listen, I'm a, I'm a bit of a sellout here. I, I, I really have always uh, liked the idea of, of commercial real estate. Perhaps it's just because it's not complicated. It is really simple. Um, you know, I think you guys who analyze the uh, stock market and, and look at markets generally, uh, you know, it's, it's a significantly more complex. There's so many moving parts. Whereas commercial real estate, and let me get into it. It's really just underpinned by super hard assets. It's a building or buildings. It's um, it's there's a cost to acquiring and building that that specific asset. And uh, you know, if you take inflation alone, you know, even if you take all the other factors out, that building will cost you more in the years to come to build mm-hmm. um, than it did than it did yesterday. So there's a kind of a price push. So that's the one thing that I do like about it. You know, if you've got the asset, you've got the asset. Obviously, it's a good idea if you're not too heavily geared and you don't lose the asset. But that's another subject altogether. I think. Um, you know, the other big thing that I like about it is uh, it's very scary if you are in the markets and there is a correction like we had around about uh, uh, 2018, uh, uh, you know, just, just uh, 2008, around about the, mm-hmm. the uh, global financial crisis. So, you know, you're, you suddenly lose a significant portion of your capital, whereas ultimately these things are less susceptible to any market sentiment. Markets go up and down. You've got a lease. The lease generates an income there are fixed expenses against that income and uh, you know exactly what you are going to earn and if you value that building and let's touch on the valuation for a second the value of that building depends on the income times the capitalization rate effectively giving you the value of the building so there's very little um, fluctuation in the value of that building be in, in uh, a time of, uh, of, of of crisis of pandemic or whatever the building is consistent, mm. so I think you know these are these are some of the things that uh, that uh, you know that, that are very important about commercial. And, and I think another thing that is uh, you know especially as we talk to a South African market, residential. Everybody likes to dabble in one or two extra residential properties, either to put a tenant in, or alternatively they put it on Airbnb or something yeah. like that. And um, I mean, the very question is: Is that really a good investment? And <laughs> you know, residential different from commercial is completely um, uh, susceptible to um, uh, emotive inputs. It's, um, I love the kitchen, I'm going to pay a premium for this house, or demand and supply for that particular area. You know, it's kind of very difficult to, uh, you know, to, to kind of really put a, a real value on it. You can't look at that property and say, this property is absolutely worth 1.5 million bucks. You know, it, it yeah, depends. Yeah. So, so I think you know this is another uh, another attraction that I have, and and on the return side, you put a tenant in that building, and I'm 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 sure I'm talking to a lot of people out there. You get a rental income once you've paid all the costs and rates and maintenance and geezer, etc. You end up with a return, and if it's at the low end of the market, in other words, entry level type properties, you're probably sitting at about seven or eight percent, which is great. On the high end, it can be nothing. Uh, you know, certainly two or three percent. So somewhere there is your, your, your sort of cash and cash yield. But, um, but there's no capital appreciation at the moment. In fact, mm-hmm. negative in some markets. And so, you know, it's not a very real return. 
Whereas before you would get that, you would be very happily take your two or three percent, you know, cash and cash because you knew that the property was was appreciating. So you know, I think uh, we we're kind of getting into a little bit perhaps too much detail on your first question, but uh, yeah, you know, I think I think that really you know is my summary of why commercial real estate is far more attractive uh, as an investment than residential. Yeah, and I take it back. And also, suddenly, I have to be an expert at, at managing tenants and geezers and, and all of that sort of thing. And I might have skill sets, but it's probably not that. I like your point. Uh, commercial is not complicated. If you're less, it's, it's a management team. It's fairly nice and simple. If you move to, I suppose, the what of commercial real estate, it is a, a, a very diverse category. Give us some background on some of the, the various categories and, and the attributes of them. Yes, I, you know, I think that people think of residential and commercial, whereas, in fact, mm-hmm. commercial is... Uh, there's a whole plethora of different types of buildings. And, uh, you know, if we think about it, there's the typical sort of commercial stuff, the offices. Um, we play actually in a, in, a, in a commercial side, which is medical, which is sort of medical offices. And um, there's industrial, which is completely different to commercial. It's big buildings, long leases, heavy uh, uh, TI or heavy. There's a lot of investment in putting the plant into the, the factory. So you want to generally have sort of some, something like a you know, 10 to 20 year period that you've secured the building for. Um, Then there is, um, you know, single residential and and in the States particularly, we have uh, multifamily housing, which is a big category. And I think for South Africans, what is multifamily housing? It's it's an institution that owns the complex as opposed to individual sectional title owners. Yeah. Very big sector in the US and very popular amongst investors, actually. So instead of buying the sectional title unit, you buy into the, the housing scheme and um, the operator of the housing scheme adds value to that multi-family housing complex by, for example, improving the attributes, making the swimming pool and entertainment area nicer so you can get a higher rental, giving it a nice coat of paint or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it is a very popular investment category in the U.S. Yeah, and then and then I think within those sectors, oh, and then, of course, let's not forget the one that's been hurt the most over the pandemic. And uh, and that is hospitality. Uh, hospitality is, <laughs> yeah, that's a very cruel laugh. No, I mean it has. It's been that in office has been the two sectors that have been. I mean, I want to say decimated, but been under serious pressure. I totally, I totally. So uh, you know, I think to look at some of the attributes, perhaps that's quite interesting. I think I touched on industrial, mm-hmm. long leases, generally big organisations that are absolutely going to pay the rent, and um, so fantastic sort of asset class to get into if you want to secure long-term solid investment and um, and so I love that sector you know on the other side you know I touched on the multifamily multifamily is exciting and has done well for example in the US but it does depend on short leases yeah. so yes you can bump the leases up quickly you're not just waiting for the escalation year on year as you would with your big factory but of course um you know, you're just a little bit more susceptible to the market. So I think everything fits in between that. Our medical asset class obviously is closer to the industrial side. Remember that if you want to put in an imaging center, mm-hmm. you know, you need a considerable investment in that building to make sure that it works. Water supply, water in, water out in the U.S., very, very particular. So, yeah, so I think we sit kind of more on the industrial side. 
Yeah, absolutely. The question then, I mean, you were talking around commercial real estate. Yeah, and I've mentioned it in the webcast we did recently, whereas a decade ago, you know, investing your money beyond the borders of South Africa was possible, but hard. Now it's not. Now it's actually become really easy. It's literally websites, some clicks, some documents being sent. The argument for, for where to invest, if we're you know, standing out in the moon and looking down, the, the attractive territory. No, that's a you know that, that that's actually a fantastic topic because you know I think us as South Africans and, and it's a global thing. Yeah. You know we tend to we tend to buy you know down the road uh, the residential plot <laughs> down the road because it's something that's tangible. We can see it. We can drive past it. And you know to, to buy if you're in Joburg to buy your your holiday flat in Cape Town. You know that maybe you'll do that, but to go and buy your holiday flat in Florida, you know, isn't a whole whole other you know whole other thing. Super complicated. So. I think over the time, this has got very, very easy, um, and uh, there are multitudes of, of ways that you can invest offshore, um, specific organizations, I guess a little bit like West, like ourselves, that, mm-hmm. that have set ourselves up specifically to solve this problem. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, let's, let's think a little bit about your, your real question, which is if you were sitting on the moon and looking down, what would you invest in and where? And I think... Um, there are a couple of very interesting points. And in South Africa, you can buy a, a, a property that's giving you a very good yield. And um, the problem is your cost of capital is high because our interest rates are high. Mm-hmm. So the differential between the cost of capital, in other words, the money that you would be paying as interest on your mortgage, and the income that you're getting from the building, the differential is very small. The delta is very small. Whereas in some places, you know, in uh, in Europe, you are able to borrow 2% and still get a 6% return. Uh, in the US, I mean, we are, you know, getting a, a sort of 8 9% return cash on cash. And the cost of capital is 3%. So, yeah, very, very nice, healthy differential there. So, yeah, you know, I think. And then the other thing, of course, is you have to take a view on currency. What is the currency risk? What is the RAND dollar valuation or RAND to whatever currency you're comparing mm-hmm. it against? What is that likely to do? We've got to look at comparative inflation and other, you know, underlying uh, um, uh, metrics. But I think that generally, you know, you, Simon, particularly, and, and, and the economists around the country, you know, would take a view that the rand over time would devalue. So I think that if you were sitting on the moon, you probably would not be very optimistic about South Africa. And I think other things to look at when you're looking at global investment or investment outside of South Africa is, First of all, political environment. Is it stable? You certainly don't want to be investing in a place where, where there is uh, political turbulence. And I think that's probably the biggest uh, factor at the moment if you're looking at commercial, industrial, mm-hmm. farm uh, in South Africa. Um, uh, you know, uh, there's, there's, there's escalating pressure from utilities, utility costs. We have to um, pay a lot of attention to uh, extraordinary stuff like alternative power. And that's not a good thing necessarily. It's something like we're greening up our buildings because most alternative power in most commercial buildings in South Africa is provided by a big diesel jenny that sits in the basement. So it's not like, you know, we're investing in something good. And transport networks, I think, uh, you know, in Europe and the U.S., transport networks are, are very set. There's a big train station next to you. You know that that train station is going to be there forever. And, um, and so there's a fundamental driving that particular area. Whereas here you... You know, you don't you don't really know that can that can change uh, you know very uh, very easily. 
Um, I think, uh, you know, other super important things, if you're looking at a country, sitting on your, on your spot on the moon, um, consider population growth, but that must be coupled with GDP. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I always use the analogy, as I'm, it's like the surfer, you know, you, you have the wave behind you. If you have population growth and a growing GDP, like China, mm-hmm. then, you know, ultimately your property is going to appreciate in value because you, yeah. um, you've got the wave behind you. So I think those are two super important things. And then when selecting your city, state, or, or, or country, then uh, you, you've got to look at uh, your good legal framework uh, and, and landlord-friendly legislation. Because if you invest a whole bunch of millions of dollars or rands in a, in a building, you want to be able to get your tenant out if the tenant can't pay, and um, you want to be able to get a new tenant in, and that reduces your risk. So I think these are all the little things that, that all, all, all combine uh, when you're trying to decide where in the world to invest. Yeah, you make a good point there. I mean, we, we look at the U.S. as, as the, the sort of global powerhouse, but, but truthfully, it, it, it is 50 states. I know that Orbvest focuses on, on, on a number of them, but, but, but not all, not even a majority. There, there's some states that, sure, it's part of the U.S., but it might not fit all of those requirements, as you say, for example, legislative, uh, uh, the, the landlord friendliness. We've been talking the, the sort of commercial sort of broadly. If we look at, I mean, investors are, are almost spoiled for choice these days. I mean, we, we've got syndicates such as, as, as the Orbvest, We've also got the, the, the publicly traded, the REITs, Real Estate Investment Trust. We've got property funds at the, at the same time also in this space. Simon, yes. I think um, you know, we've popped out for a reason. We serve a you know, very specific need. And, um, but let's cover those other two. So REITs, for example. You can go to your stockbroker and you can invest in a publicly listed REIT in the U.S. tomorrow. It's, mm-hmm. It is fairly, fairly easy. Um, so let's understand what that is. A REIT is a real estate investment trust. Um, it invests what well, has to by law. It's a highly regulated uh, environment. It invests uh, in the U.S. 75% of its assets have to be invested in real estate, cash, or U.S. treasuries. So it's very focused. And the other quite tough uh, requirement that these REITs have actually had a problem with uh, over COVID is that they have to distribute 90% of all their taxable income mm, yeah. to shareholders on a regular basis. And you're obviously familiar with that problem in South Africa, particularly. Um, so it's very, regu- very, very regulated. They, they, they're super expensive to set up. I mean, it's over a million dollars to set up a, a REIT in the US, even if it's a private REIT. And I think the one thing that concerns investors and is one of the reasons that's driving so much money into um, direct real estate at the moment is that you're completely subject to the sentiment of the market. And, and uh, I think you had there some very interesting comment on that in South Africa, you know, about the South African situation the other day, Simon, you know, sentiment of the market and REITs. Yeah. We loved them for a while. I mean, it, at one point, they were, I mean, it, actually, our REIT market peaked in, in, in 2017. It actually peaked ahead of the pandemic. And, you know, people were buying REITs at, at significant premiums to, to, to the value of, of, of the building. You know, the, the REIT would disclose our, our you know, whatever, our, our buildings are worth a billion. The market was off paying one and a half billion, and of course now the market's gone the other way, where you're picking up that building at at discounts. But it is that 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 sentiment of the market, which 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 is which is a function of 
the stock market. It absolutely is. But when you bring it into property, it, it gets a little wild. I'm old school. I want to build, buy my buildings pretty much at around that value. You know, if I'm going to pay a premium, a slight premium for, for management. The other component, of course, is, is syndicated, which is where, where all this comes in, where you and you're very much niche, niche. You certain states in the U.S., you're focusing exclusively on medical and most of your, your, your syndicates are, are single building, occasionally maybe a, a, a mix of building, but typically a single building. Yes, I think getting back to, to, to the point, yeah, you know, I, I think that uh, what we wanted to achieve was we wanted a South African or a, that, that started off obviously as a South African seven, eight years ago, but now it's moved way beyond that uh, to be able to literally buy a building as if they were the owner of that commercial building. Mm -hmm. What we bring to the party is we run the building for them. We manage it. We add value. Most of our incentive, by the way, is that if we add value to, to the building and you invest in that individual building. So it's, it's a syndicate, although I, I, you know, that, that does have a bad connotation in South Africa. (laughs) Yeah. We, we certainly don't invest. We don't syndicate anything that's risky. Our, our, Our first priority is wealth preservation Bear in mind mm-hmm. that uh, you know we put we put our own money into these things as well, so it's wealth preservation first. So we acquire only profitable buildings, we acquire only medical buildings. Why? Because medical, as we say, have long leases and they can survive any pandemic or any global financial reset, and that's why we like them. Not susceptible to the markets. If the markets crash, we don't care. Mm-hmm. So uh, you know, I think that's the second thing. Third thing is that. Uh, I uh, maybe I'm short on trust, but uh, I like to know what's in that building. I like to see what it looks like. I'd like to know what the condition of the property is like. I'd like to know what tenants are in there and how long their leases are and who they are. I mm-hmm. want to know if they're going to pay. Are they credit tenants or not? And that's what we do. We find these buildings, credit tenants, good buildings, good areas, strong landlord friendly uh, states or cities, um, growth in GDP, growth in, in, uh, in, in, in population. And we acquire these buildings and we offer them, interestingly, through a, a, a public exchange. And um, so you buy a listed sh- security in that one building, um, which is very unusual, but mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a fantastic way of getting, getting money in and out of the U.S. efficiently. And, um, and that's it. And then you, we, we hold for a period of, our, of around five years. And at the end of the five-year period, our obligation is to sell the building and, and return the capital and the capital gain to the uh, to the uh, to the shareholders. I said up front, well, to your response to the first question around how you know, property is not complicated. It's a real building um, plus a management team, and the management team is important. It 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 collecting the rentals and, and doing maintenance and the like. There's another aspect which obvious brings, which is which is that local on the ground knowledge. I mean, you're South Africa based. A lot of the team at obvious is actually US based, and have built up that knowledge over the the, the many years. And, and and that plays, I would imagine, a, a fairly important important part of, of, of the success of the process. Absolutely correct. You know, I think, uh, you know, we, we would be naive sitting in South Africa thinking that we can operate from over here. And in fact, that's how we started. So, mm-hmm. you know, that, that, that has changed. We now have, uh, you know, building up our teams in, in, uh, in uh, Atlanta predominantly, but, um, but we do have uh, Martin and, and uh, sitting in New York. Um, so, and they, and they travel a lot, you know, Atlanta central. That's how we like it. We can get to all of our other buildings in, uh, you know, in the other states, in, specifically in Texas, just down the drag, Phoenix, Arizona. Whereas if you're on the East Coast, it's a hell of a long, uh, a long flight uh, all the way to Phoenix. We'll leave you there. It's Justin Clark, Orbvest, COO. Find more, orbvest.com. Justin, appreciate the time.